All right. So I've been excited about this for two months, and I can't believe I kept it to myself for two months as it was going to happen. Also, wanted to make sure that we had a scheduled date before I announced anything. But it is my honor to introduce, I don't want to say a friend, but I, so the good thing about what I do on my side gig is that nine times out of 10, you do your little thing with the Q&A, you walk off the stage, you shake hands, something like that. And then every once in a while, you hit it off and you talk after stage for 30 minutes. And that's what happened to Mark Ralston and I, is it's like, oh, I'm going to talk to this chubby guy from Eastern Kentucky for a few minutes. We seem to get along. And you were fantastic in Richmond a few months ago. Thanks. But what I want to say is, is that you promised me something. You said you would do the show. And I've been told that before. And I won't say who has lied to me over the years. But there's been a couple, as you work in Hollywood, you might imagine. Right, right. Are you shocked mm -hmm. at all? Not at all. In fact, I mean, I'll admit on camera that I was late. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> we I apologize. I'm normally extremely punctual, but uh, yeah. So, no. I just want to I, talk about you. I did. We did mutual favors for one another, and you're a minch, and I really appreciate it for you. Thank you oh, so my, much. For doing my it. absolute pleasure. I had a great time in Kentucky. Did you really? It was a kind of a oh, small yeah. show and it wasn't I you you and that show deserved a better crowd. A bigger crowd, I should say. Well, I don't know what happened there, but uh I'm hoping we can get back to Lexington. Apparently that's a nice big show. So Oh, oh yes. That's my big show. That's that's uh that's 30 30 30 getting close to 40,000. It's nice because you would think Cincinnati, Louisville, some of those places that have a bigger one if it's not it's in Lexington. And the biggest <laughs> horror convention horror movie convention probably the second or third biggest one in the united states now is in lexington kentucky a scare fest i yeah. talked about this and i i was putting it on your radar and we talked to your agent about it as well so right. love for you to get to either one oh absolutely i want to get there because uh i met some really nice fellas in richmond who uh treated me to some tipple of uh, kentucky bourbon and i want to go to the bourbon trail oh yes uh, we have well, actually what I have here is scotch, but the bourbon's in the M and M behind me, oddly enough. Yeah, so. my, mine's that way. <laughs> so, Mark, if you get back here, what we'll do, the boneheads will actually, uh, if you will allow us, uh, we'll we'll take you out for some uh, bourbon sipping. Very nice. I would like that. I right will now. take it. We will we will make that happen. So, let's go ahead and get started. Um. I was trying, so what we pride ourselves, not first of all, that you're going to have a good time while we do this. And second of all, we're going to joke and kid. But third, we try not to ask shit that people ask continuously every time. So Chad and I, when we had that extra few minutes before you got on, was like, all right, let's throw out the aliens questions. Let's throw out the Shawshank questions. He's been asked that shit 42,000 fucking times. We're not going to ask it. <laughs> so Which so I, 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 even, I, I even told Joe, not even on my list. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> Hopefully that makes you feel better. I may have a Shawshank thing I might ask later, but we'll see how it goes. I just, I'm curious, being raised by a single dad, how that affected you a little bit. And because I, we're going to get to your philosophy major. By the way, we did our research. We're going to get to the philosophy major stuff in a little bit in England in a minute. But you're one of three, correct? Mm-hmm. And you each had to do something on Saturdays. Is that how it goes? 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, dad was like, you have to get out of the house so I can clean the house and do the laundry and pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my my brother chose playing the guitar. My sister danced ballet. And my father had taken us to the theater quite often in, in D.C. at the arena stage and a smaller fringe theater, which I don't know if it's still there or not, but it was called the Washington Theater Club. And they had a Saturday program for kids. And my dad said, how about that? And I thought, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And then, you know, that was kind of the start of everything because it was mainly like uh, improvisational, uh, you know, and games for kids, you know, with theater games. But, you know, you get reaction from people and people thought, you know, I was clever and funny and, you know, you get that feedback and you kind of get bitten. Yeah. Uh, I was actually asked to turn professional and join the arena stage repertory company. My father nixed that. He was like, nope, you're going to finish high school. And after high school, you do what the hell you want to do. So, <laughs> well, I'm curious back to the being raised by a single dad. It's especially of that generation. It's shocking to me that he was laissez faire about you doing something in the arts. Well, my father, you know, he was uh, a single child of a uh, coal stoker. And that my grandfather, he, he worked at Bethlehem Steel. Mm -hmm. And being an only child, um, they were sure that he wasn't going to be follow his, his, in his father's footsteps. And so my father was an overachiever and, you know, extremely intelligent guy. And um, he wanted more from life. So he from a very early age, you know, we, he would take us to the theater, take us to, I remember seeing Marcel Marceau, the famous mime. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, dad exposes to a lot of stuff. And uh, one actor in particular, this uh, actor, Robert Frosty, who was relatively famous. Uh, he was in St. Elsewhere, I believe. And um, there was a show of Wind in the Willows. Mm -hmm. And that <laughs> just captured my imagination and attention. And, um, yeah, it, it, it sparked something in me. I really, really enjoyed the, um, my Saturdays. Um, interesting. My father was actually putting me in danger because at that time, you know, DC was like the murder capital of the world. Right. Or Detroit. <laughs> right. And I was, was on a bus traveling, you know, from Bethesda, Maryland, all the way downtown to DuPont circle, which at the time was like, you know, rife with drug addicts and all kinds of things. But that was the era when you know your parent could say yeah just here's some money go on the bus and see you later this afternoon you know and but uh, i did it and uh survived it <laughs> it doesn't exist now the idea of me my six-year-old can talk to most people he has a lot he looks like his mother but he has a lot of my personalities outgoing it, even when he's nine i'm not going to do that yeah i mean you well you just can't you'd a you'd be yeah you'd be negligent you you'd have a, a charge against you yeah yeah that, that, that's a shame in some ways i mean we were entrusted with a lot when we were kids you know because my dad you know being a single parent he worked for ibm and he was away all day but uh you know i feel sorry for my older brother because he got burdened with you know trying to hold down the fort and me being a middle child i was pretty rambunctious and you know my brother's oh spent a lot of time corralling me and then fighting. So, um, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, an interesting childhood. Um, 
but yeah. I think in today's in today's world, you think it, it was it was a little bit unusual. You know, we we were latchkey kids, right? Right. I was too. I was too. My parents split up when I was quite young, and they and I'm an only child, and my son's an only child, so he's an only child of an only child, and and it's just there's things that I would just never let him do than I did. And yeah. no one thought anything of it. I remember my mom would reach me the child support check <laughs> in the morning and leaving one house just to give it, or my dad would reach me the check to give to my mom. You know, it that would, it's unheard of today. Any of that stuff. So I get right. it completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chad. I'm, I'm glad you said it because I was sitting here wondering the whole time when you said that you were a, a, a one of three. So you you are the middle child. So you you, you know what suffering's like, right? Yeah, if you didn't get it from one side, you got it from the other. Exactly. You <laughs> bastards in your middle child syndromes, whatever. Yeah, our other friend James, he is also the middle child. So <laughs> we 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 all oh, me and Mark just sit here and talk all day about being middle children, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, it is an actual phenomenon, you know, and uh, I hear about it all the time from the other two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's something. And then, you know, for me, I have a rather checkered past. I have three different marriages and one child from each marriage. So I have three only children effectively. Yeah. Uh, although they all love each other and, and have my, uh, some of my traits, I, the, my girls hopefully look more like their mothers than me. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, being a middle child, I mean, I, it's it's pretty much documented. You know that uh, quite often they are more artistic and um, probably have to fight for their position in the family. The youngest one is often you know coddled and babied, and the eldest is you know burdened with being adult way too soon. Yeah. So. Yeah, I get to, I love, I get to tell this story on our podcast about my sister where she, you know, she was older, five years older. And so she was responsible for babysitting, you know, because, you know, our family, you know, both parents worked really hard, you know, factory workers. And, you know, my, my, my sister, she would make me, as soon as they left, go to your room. Oh. And, and then, and then if we can't try to sneak out of our room, she'd come back and smack the door with a belt. Wow. <laughs> so wow. we had to find other ways out. <laughs> Wow, I didn't know if your your relationship with your brother was like that. <laughs> oh yeah, we 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 fought all the time. In fact, <laughs> gosh, I recall doing something to my brother, and um, I was I hit him or I did something, and I was running down the hallway, and at the end of the hallway was the bathroom, and I ran into the bathroom, and right as I shut the door, he had thrown a knife, and the <laughs> knife stuck in the door. And I opened the door and I saw the knife and quickly shut it again and locked it. It was like, yeah, crazy times. Yeah. It, it, Similar it story, but it, not a knife, flathead screwdriver. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're supposed to be interviewing. <laughs> yes. We need to talk about no, the movies. Moving right along. Oh, I thought we were having a psychoanalysis session. <laughs> well, we could. <laughs> we could, but we're, we're armchair psychologist at best <laughs> who in the hell let you become a philosophy major ah uh, my dad i mean you know i went off to a small state school in maryland and uh, uh you know it was a liberal arts school yeah. um, in fact i didn't go to school thinking i'd even do theater i i i 
drifted into the theater department only because I was looking at, you know, what to fill my schedule with. And it was like, oh, theater 101, that's an easy A, I'll, I'll do that. And then was cast in a play mm -hmm. um, um, as Bo Decker and help me out. Um, oh, shoot. I didn't write down the play. I am so sorry. I have all this yeah. and I didn't write down the play. Bus stop. William Inge's yeah, yeah. bus stop. And, uh, and that's when I got bit again with the acting book. Because you had the chance to go professional. It was your dad who stopped it from happening, correct? When you were a child? Yeah, when I was like, you know, 10 years old, Arena Stage asked if I joined the company and my father just flat out nixed it. I cried, but he was like, no. He, he, he said, Mark, <laughs> he said, Mark, look at these other kids, these theater kids. He said, you know, I want you to have a life. You've got to have an education. He said, look, you know, once you graduate, I can't tell you what to do, but you're going to at least finish high school. And then luckily enough, I mean, I was flunked out at high school, but I made it to college. And luckily, when I was at Frostburg State College in Upper Maryland, mm -hmm. um, one of the professors, Dr. David Press, uh, was a real method acting yeah. uh, aficionado. And so I got a really good foundation and start uh, in understanding what method acting was uh, from him before I went to the Drama Center in London where that was a program, but the acting side of it um, was run by a woman called Doreen Cannon, and she was one of the Hagen's protégés. So we got American method acting, we got European style training, and Drama Center was very particular. We had a very specific uh, training called movement psychology, which is particular to that school. It's still taught, but not quite as detailed as it was when I was there. Because now, when I was at Drama Center, you started off with 60 people and you ended up with 16. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's kind of like law school as far as you get that big class and then they call people, correct? It's not like that anymore. Exactly. Yeah, now it's like they have a class of 100 and nobody gets cut. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the city council runs it now. It used to be like a private uh Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i i had a really tremendous training in fact you know you know people like colin firth and right tom hardy michael fassbender all went to the drama center mm -hmm. colin went to drama center what it was like when i was there yeah um but the other guys i think went when um it had become run by the city council yeah yeah so I, I got a question about method acting since that was your approach. I mean, uh, you know, lately method acting has, well, it's kind of died down, but for a while there, it was really under fire about, you know, why is it so important? I wanted to get your thoughts about that. Cause you know, a lot of actors have been getting a lot of criticism for their method acting uh, off the top of my head, Jared Leto, um, that oh, I'm forgetting the actor from succession, Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel so Day so Lewis is a great yeah, example yeah. of staying in character 24 uh, seven. Yeah, that's that to me that that's bogus. It's, it, it wasn't what I was trained to do. It's not that is not method acting. Mm -hmm. That is his idea of what it is to to do method have a method approach. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you ever read Stanislavski, he never you know offered up that you know you you must be in character twenty four hours a day and only call me your character name and you know. Quite frankly, like the people that I train uh, with train actors like Anthony Hopkins. Yes. Right. 
Anthony Hopkins did the same training I did. So people that I knew, in fact, when Anthony Hopkins uh, or, and even trained with, uh, uh, although Olivier didn't train in the in the movement psychology, he worked with Yad Malmgren, who was the one of the founders of the Drama Center mm-hmm. when he was doing Othello. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah. The thing about being on in character twenty four seven—that's all bogus. That's bullshit. I, I think it's like a, a veil, and uh, the real man. Yeah, it is. It's bullshit. I was gonna say it's almost—it's almost like it's done for publicity. Like it's something to feed to the press. I think it's like somebody's insecurity. Like they feel like they. First of all, it's impossible to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, look. And if you need to do that, if you need to be in character 24 hours a day on set, you'll be exhausted. You'll have no energy to actually be the character. And I'm sorry, I mean, look, you know, I'm not a fan of Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm not even a fan of Jeremy Strong. Uh, but Daniel Day-Lewis, to me, I I mean, I've seen some performances that I think were great. I mean, his first performance, you know, uh, um, my, le- was my Left Foot. My, my Left foot. foot, the one he won the first Academy Award for. Yeah. Great, great performance, but I mean, Gangs of New York, like, what a joke. I mean, he was overacting like crazy. I mean, that's so really. So, what I was taught was the art of transformation. Yeah. And that is, and that's what real method acting is all about is transforming yourself into the character, into the world of the piece you're doing. And that's the challenge. If, if you can actually immerse yourself into a character, and some of it has to do with looks, but really has to do with like the essence of the character. And you adopting physical attributes, vocal attributes, psychological attributes. I mean, if you, and if you can really hit all of them within the context of the piece, uh, and people believe that you're some something other than yourself, that's that's the method challenge. Which so, I think, uh, and honestly, in your career, you there's several examples of you doing that perfectly. Not to kiss butt, but no, I thank you. No, I know. <laughs> I, like I, I, I love being a character actor. I was never under the delusion that I was, you know, Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise. I always knew that I was a character person. And uh, I, that's always my challenge is to be believable as something other than myself. And I love it. (laughs) And when you do lose yourself in the moment in a character, um, it's, it's magical. I mean, it's magical. It's, um, I often say, like, I was in the group, I was in the moment, I was, you know, when you, when you, when you find that sweet spot, um, mm-hmm. and Morgan Freeman, when we were doing Shawshank, his definition of it was, was just talking. Mm-hmm. Now, now, of course, you can just talk, but if you talked and you have adopted all the other aspects of the character, well, then that's transformation. So that's, that's what it's about. So any any actors out there want to challenge me on it like it, it, it it's become it's become a joke about uh you know being in a character yeah yeah you got the next question while I'm... i was it yeah i was just kind of curious um so you're talking about your is there is there a specific role that you haven't where you, where you remember where that was your sweet spot like one particular role and could Not you talk about that i've done it quite often but i mean I mean, Shawshank for one, not so much, it's not aliens so much, but Shawshank for one, but uh, I played. Um... Were you be killing all of America? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
but uh, I played Clive Davis in a movie about uh, Whitney Houston and yeah, uh, directed by Angela Bassett. Yeah. Yeah. And people didn't recognize me. In fact, when I was in drama school, this was a great thing. Um, I, you know, because when you get to the performance here in my drama school, um, it was really designed so that, you know, directors from theaters all around the UK would come and see you perform. But uh, one of the first pieces we did was a um, Fado farce. And I, I went for it. I was playing a character called Henri Mitvok, and I was German, and I was rotund, and I actually <laughs> shaved out the inside of my hair, and I went for this whole makeup and walk and the whole thing. And the people that I, I rented a room from a woman and her daughter, uh, who was like little sister to me, they came to see the play. And the young woman kept saying to her mom, like, where's Mark? Where's Mark? She was like, honey, I don't know. I don't think he's come on stage yet. I'd already been on stage. I'd been on stage for like 40 minutes. and <laughs> They didn't know it was me. And that, that's the sweet spot. That's that's the best that's compliment amazing. you can get. That's what you go for. Totally. You were, like, like I, one of my favorite characters, and it's only because um, I was on set. The uh, uppity ups producers were away on a location scout. They left one of the underling executives there to just marshal everything on the set, and they were. He was kind of loving what I was doing. He let me go um, to the point where when I was watching with my family and we're on the couch. My youngest kept inching down the couch away from me. And I was like, what the hell, where are you going? Come back here. She's like, no, dad, you're creeping me out. Like, why, why are you talking like that? And, and that voice, and you're so weird and creepy. It's like, I said, sweetie, I, I mean, in, inwardly, I was going, yes, I did. I did. <laughs> but uh, and that was actually a character that I originated for Supernatural of all things. Oh. Wow. Alistair, the demon of all demons. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked about that a little no, bit. No, I was dressed. And, and it's one of those of, and I, and you don't have a good answer of why that, right? Of why, why, why we didn't get you back on, why they didn't get you back on the show. I think it was a number of things. I think it was the fact that um, this, this producer let me go to the degree where I improvised around the script. Mm -hmm. I outshone the boys. Yep. You know, and God bless them. They had a good long run. They're very successful people. And but that's not hard to do. Well, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm glad you no, said No, it. no, no, no. They're great in those roles. And I... Yeah, they're, they're not heavyweight actors. They're not heavyweight. I, I Can I give you an example of my... From and by the way, as far outside of Hollywood as possible, not a trained actor, but a great Padalecki, great example of smell of fart acting. And this is it. <laughs> Am I wrong, Mark? No, I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> if you steal that and use it in an interview, I want you to tell everyone this bastard in Lexington, Kentucky gave me smell of fart acting. And I don't know if I stole it. I've done it to Chad. I've talked to Chad about it. another one who people love. Uh, and he's not a terrible, he's great in the right role is Charlie. Is it Hunan? I can't say. the. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. That. It's like, oh, that's not gravitas. That's not. That's, that's yeah. I know. I hear you. I hear you. But I think oh, also, 
No, the reason why I didn't continue was that I think it was a bit of ageism. A, I think I was too, I made too interesting a character. Yeah. I can't be more interesting than the stars. See, that, that's, that, that's often been to my detriment. It's like, you know, I'll approach a character, I'll make it interesting. I, I had a director friend say to me, he said, he said, look, I love it, but it's just, it's just too interesting. It's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta tone it down a bit because, you know, you're, you're not blending in with the stars. So, um, and I think it was a bit of ageism to be honest, because, um, you know, the show was geared toward a female audience and, you know, yeah. the, guy, the guy that they replaced me with, you know, is a slightly, well, definitely younger, but, uh, you know, a bit more rugged, ruggedly handsome kind of guy. So, Hey, it's okay. It's all up. It's all good. I have kind of a bullshit question. Okay. I want to know the truth. When you were meeting with Marty and you were going to get the departed, did you look at him and say, this is how I'm going to get this. Daniel Day Lewis's performance was over the top. No, did you ever tell him that story. No, never. True. Because he, you, no. you have said in interviews and I've heard it from before. He's a, he's a direct Cameron, much more of a technical person. And then Scorsese is an actor's director, right? He'll let you play. You never felt that comfortable, I'm assuming, then. No, no. Well, you know, look, look, uh, working with Mr. Scorsese was amazing because, um, uh, well, in, in a subsequent interview, he said that he really enjoyed my performance, which I'm very grateful for. But, you know, the day that I did my death scene in the uh -huh. movie, um, you know, we shot like, 10,000 feet of film on that scene alone and that was a tremendous day uh and at the end of the day his first ad came to me joe reedy and he said hey uh listen marty wants to know is there anything else you want to do kill he's willing to roll cameras again and anything you want to try and i'm thinking in my brain i'm thinking hang on a second we just shot 10,000 feet of film <laughs> covered this scene six ways to sunday and if I were to say, oh, yeah, like, 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 give me another take and then not do anything. So, you know, you look like an ass. So I just said, Marty's happy. He said, he's happy. I went, I'm happy too. And it was great, you know. Um, but, but yeah, just to say, uh, um, Marty's an everything director. He's not just an actor's director. I mean, he, he's got all the bases covered. Mm -hmm. right? he, extraordinary he's like the energizer bunny he just doesn't stop you know yes yeah. um i think the real actor's director for in my, in my career was um john frank and i'm yeah we were doing wallace now he was an actor's director because a he loved that he loved that even though there are stories of of him having some rows or is having some fights with some famous stars throughout his oh, oh, oh 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 absolutely in fact i mean I can tell you a couple of stories. I mean, A, on set, on set with Frankenheimer, if, were, if the crew was making noise, and he was a big man, tall man, you know, and yeah. he, he did an actor himself. But He's he'd be an opposing like, person. He'd be like, God damn it, be quiet. There are actors on this set working. I love it. Just love it, right? I, you rarely hear a director do that. Yeah. But one of the funniest thing ever happened was we were doing this long tracking shot uh, coming up onto uh, Gary Sinise when, uh, as Wallace, when mm -hmm. Wallace realizes that he's doomed. And they do this long tracking take, and it was absolutely brilliant. And they shout cut. And Frank and Ivory goes, Great, let's move on. And Gary Sinise was like, 
John, uh, excuse me. And they did this little confab for a second. Then Frank and I went, God damn it, Gary. I've been in this business 60 fucking years. You don't think I know when I got to take or not? You know, and, <laughs> and Gary, Gary was like, oh, well, of course, of course. And demurred. But um, yeah, you know, a lot of the world is 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 pretty technical, especially in the TV side. You know, it's it's very fast. You know, Hit your mark. But but yeah, actors, directors. It's interesting. The people use the term all the time. You know, they use the they use the phrase all the time. Actors, directors. Yeah. I don't know. Who are some of who are some of the ones then just that other than Frankenheimer, which that's a great story, who are some of the other ones that are just just batshit wonderful? Wow. Um I mean I mean really Jim Cameron was, even though he's not an actor's director, he was wonderful. I mean, just because he was so detailed, he was so immersed in everything on aliens. I think it's his best movie anyway. It's uh, his it's the most rewatchable. Yeah. And, and and he was fiercely invested in it. I mean, it took eight years from when he wrote it to when it was made. Um, and, and a lot of TV directors. I mean, I'm I'm going back on uh, Bosch Legacy. I don't know this. That's okay. And one of the directors, a regular in the regular rotation, is this guy Patrick Cady, great cinematographer, but is now now a director, and mm -hmm. he's he's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, out of all the things I've done, I think Frankenheimer stands out the most. Um, That's a really good yeah. story you told about him, though. Do you have any more about I mean, Frankenheimer? Um, well, it was, it's interesting. You know, we when we rehearsed Wallace, it was much like we did with Shawshank. We actually taped out the set or the stage, like the floor, like we were doing theater. Mm -hmm. And we rehearsed quite a bit. And... Uh, yeah, really, I remember my audition with Frankenheimer, and, and he, he turned to me and he, he said, he said, you're a very fine actor. He said, you know, you're going to go places, kid. And it was like, <laughs> it was really chuffed about that. I mean, another another great director, uh, Dick Donner. Yeah. Uh, but he was old school Hollywood, Dick Donner. I mean, he was old school. He was just like big, boisterous, and, um, but but great fun. I don't know. I've always been one. It's like you know, I'm I'm always well and over prepared when I when I get on set. So um, again, that's part of my training. Um, don't leave, leave anything to uh, guessing. But uh, yeah, no, nobody else stands out really except for those. I mean, you well, you worked with an old school director. If you don't mind me talking, because there's, <clears throat> I know it's a flawed movie, and I know you're in it. And I'm I'm thinking there's probably a bigger part there that was left on the cutting room floor. But there's parts of it that I still love. But you worked with Irvin Kirshner on Robocop too. What'd you say? I knew you were gonna say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, in fact, there's there's three, what the problem is is about five years ago, I was watching it again. Why I have no idea, because I'm a geek. I was watching it again and I was thinking, there's just three different movies here. It's, at it, least it, three different movies there. I was just approached uh, to to participate in a documentary about RoboCop 2. Yeah, and they I, just did one called... They, I just watched the one about RoboCop a while back. It came. In fact, I went ahead and bought the Blu-ray. I didn't even... I'm, I'm much... I'm 
I, you know, if I get a book, I get a book. I don't have a Kindle or any of those things. So I tell them, so are you going yeah, to, do anyway, uh, they, they approached me and I just said, I said, I'm sorry. I, I, I really have nothing to offer. It was a very sad experience. And the reason was, was that the, a fellow actor um, was really not up to the game and it was miserable. And the actor was cut out because I did all of my scenes with the particular actor. The actor was cut out and consequently I was too. And it was I did perfect. not know this story. I swear to God, I did not know this story, Mark. I'm so no, sorry. But, but it, it was one of the most miserable times ever. I remember going to the premiere and Kirshner pulled me aside and he said, hey, listen, I'm so sorry. Uh, you're going to be disappointed. I, I had to cut you out of the movie almost. I, I was like, what? It was a shock. It was a shock. But hey, that's, that's the, and it was probably because of the point you just made. It was like two disparate films and, and, and something had to go, right? It it just is. It's it's like a bag full. Well, I was going to say a bag full of shit, but I don't mean it as an actual shit because there's some there's some decent stuff there. It's just several different movies and no. It, it's clearly one of those sequels. Orion's in financial trouble, trying to get the movie out. Nobody's who's running the ship, who's actually making the decisions. Yada yada yada. Yeah, it, it, it's it's always that. I mean, that's the sad part. Is like, you know, like when aliens. You, mm -hmm who's running the show um scorsese running the show darabont not so much like because it was this major film and you know, the studio was breathing down his neck and yeah morgan freeman's talked about that before about you know oh so some magical things were cut out of Shawshank. If you, if you can believe that it's as magical as the movie is there are some romantic amazing cut out of the film from my own uh, perspective, I mean, it still works, you know, me getting beat up in the, in the cell, but what was supposed to have happened was, I not only got beat up in the cell, but they dragged me out and they tossed me off the fourth tier of the, of mm -hmm. the cell block. And they had this shot set up, which was would have been great. They had it all set up. Mm -hmm. There's a cable running from the floor up to uh, a rig above us. And... They'd approach me and said, are you willing to do this shot? I, I'd have to be suspended in a harness for a lot of the day. Yeah. And the trick was, was that I would be suspended as if I was hurtling toward the floor and they run the camera up the cable. So it creates this false illusion of me actually falling. And that's why the line and, and Bog never walked again. That's, that's why that line is there. But yeah. they had to cut that out. But this other this other piece, um, and it would have been just incredible. But they cut it. Um, you know, when uh, Andy gets out into the, the the creek and he does all this thing. Yeah, yeah. In the script, he actually runs back up the hill toward the prison, right? And the audience would be going, "No, no, dude, wrong way, right?" And as He's running toward the prison. There was an actual rail line that ran outside the Ohio State Penitentiary, and they had down the way a vintage steam locomotive, oh. rented and ready to roll. So the story is that Andy goes back up the hill, hops on the train, and that's how he got to the next town so quickly. He was able to deposit the money in the bank and get away. Oh, still works, but. 
what you learn is the next time you watch the film, as Andy's in his cell and he's looking out the window, what we see now is just Andy looking at some clouds and you think, ah, oh, he's you know, wistful about being outside. Mm -hmm. But truthfully, what it would have been was you'd see these clouds and you would hear the steam locomotive. And then when he escapes, you as the audience would have gone, oh my God, this guy not only managed to crawl through sewers, but he timed his escape to coincide with the arrival of a train. I yeah. mean, it, it was it, it was romantic and magical. I I, I begged this producer, I, I, I Nikki Marvin. I said, Nikki, don't cut that, don't. But it's the one of those little things. Um, and it, you know, there's a great book, um, Shawshank, the final shooting script. Mm -hmm. That's actually in that anecdote is in there. Um, the movies is still extraordinary, but it, that was a one little thing. God, I wish they'd managed to shoot that, but. They were behind by three days and the studio came down on them and said, hey, you got to cut something. And it's, see, that's when, you know, the powers that be get in the way because they're not creatives. Right. They're, they're money people. Yeah. And that's when you lose. That's why Mr. Scorsese has such a brilliant uh, uh, foothold in all of filmmaking is because he negotiates his final cut and mm -hmm. he like, like, for example, The Irishman. Mm -hmm. Now, the anti-aging technology wasn't perfect, but I actually think if that movie had been cut 30 minutes shorter, it would have probably won the Best Picture Award. Uh, mm -hmm. Really, I think it's a fantastic story. But uh, I agree. But, but Marty, it was like a fuck you to Netflix because Netflix had given him the money to make the movie, and he got a fee. But there was no, when you work with Netflix, there's no back end. Right, right. And I think he was like, oh, okay, fuck you. You're, you're you know, you're going to give me my director's cut. Guess what? I'm going to make the longest fucking movie I can possibly make, and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. In fact, tonight, after I talk with you, I think I'm going to sit down and watch Killers of the Flower Moon. And I wonder if it's a similar situation, because I, I want to see why this movie is three and a half hours long. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. It took me a while because of having a young, you have children and having a young child. If you've got a three hour commitment and you've got to get the kid and you got to work tomorrow, that's a two night commitment. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. three. So it's it was a three day, it was a three day watch for me while I get through the Irishman. But I enjoyed the hell out of it. I like, did too. It's just kids. It's kids. Yeah. yeah but, uh, for me now, it, it, it's my wife. I mean, she's like, I'm not watching that. I was like, why? It's supposed to be, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing a three and a half hour movie. Yeah. You know, whereas, Oppenheimer, it did not feel like a three-hour movie. That movie just moved. Oh, I, I, I think the best picture was. Yeah, well, oh, okay. Barbie. <laughs> actually, I haven't watched Barbie, and I'm trying. Barbie's gonna win awards. I Barbie yeah, like it. Oh, I loved it. I did too. Oh, it was extraordinary. In fact, I you know I kind of went begrudgingly. Same here. You know, I went my wife and my daughters and my brother and sister-in-law. My youngest was like, oh, and everyone has to wear pink. And I'm like, oh. So we all had fun. It was great. We we're going off. But I had no idea I would laugh so hard. Right. Such a fabulous time. And I think it's possible Greta Gerwig could win best screenplay. Just saying. And I do think Ryan Gosling 
could well win Best Supporting Actor because he was he was freaking brilliant. Right. You like heard that, it here first. See, what he did, what he did, that was method acting. Because in that kind of movie, in that kind of role, he could have winked at the audience and go, hey, you know, this is real, I'm just having fun. No. He played that thing so earnestly and for real. That's why it was just so darn funny. He 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 slayed me. God, that was funny. All right, Chad. Now, so we talk about, you know, uh, method act or not met character actors. I'm sorry, you know, really bringing out a film, and and that's why honestly, a lot of my favorite actors of all time are character actors. And us getting uh, excited when we see some of our yes character. Actors. Um, I and I this is why I want to talk about Eraser because <laughs> Eraser, yeah, it has James Caan, it has Arnold Schwarzenegger, it has James Coburn for God's sakes. But it also has you, Robert Pastorelli, James Cromwell, uh, uh, oh, Joe Vitarelli, John Slattery, for God's sakes. I was wondering, do you have stories about working on a racer just because of of the the great the, the great cast? Well, a lot of my stuff, I, I I didn't get to work with a lot of those great actors, right? So happy to be on it, uh, and. But the only stories I really have to tell are two. Go for it. One is late, late night shoot about 2.30 in the morning. And I suddenly hear this ruckus. And I hear, you cock motherfucker, I'll beat the li-. And I go outside of my room. And James Kahn is jacking up this AD. And I mean, he is banging him off of the trailer. I told you never to fucking knock on my door. You're supposed to tap on it. I, I was like, hey. Jim, Jim, cut it out, cut it out. Like, what are you doing? Like, he was jacking him up. And then the other story is his, um, in the big final shootout. Yeah. The last take, um, uh, uh, Russell, the director, was like saying, hey, guys, just unload your weapons. Just fire indiscriminately. Just just, just let it go. So we're just letting it go. And I feel something hit my eye. And I'm thinking it's just like we're kicking up dust or something. And I went to the makeup trailer and I was like, hey, do I have something in my eye? And they're looking in my eye and they're putting eye drops in and eye wash and everything. It's like, no, I can't see anything. I said, man, I feel like I've got something gritty in my eye. Anyway, my brother happened to be visiting that night and I kept saying, God, my, and my eye looked fucked up. It was red as hell. It was really messed up. He said, come on, we're going to go to the emergency room. I said, no, nah, man, it's, it's three in the morning. But I'm going to go home, man. It's, I'm going to the emergency room. Go there, get in one of those little machines, the eye machine, right? They're looking yeah. in my eye. And the doctor goes, oh, yeah, there we are. There was a shard from one of the shell casings that had flown out and pierced my eye. <laughs> and the doctor said, you are so lucky you came in here tonight. He said, he said you could have gone home. And by the morning, you wouldn't have had an eyeball because he said it was already oozing. He he very deftly plucked the shard out, and it was you know I you, he had to see it with you know magnifying glasses, but he plucked it out of my eye and put some sort of antibiotic uh, or steroid spray on my eyeball. And you know I begrudgingly had to tell my brother, hey, thanks. That's the second time you kind of saved my life or saved part of my anatomy. When we were kids, like young. We, it was one winter and there was a tree falling over a creek and 
you know, we were climbing across trees and everything. I fell into the creek and through the ice. And I got swept away by a current. And I remember this vividly. I'm like under the ice and I'm being swept down the stream. And I can see my brother on the, the, the bank just going, Mark, Mark. Like, and I, I, I couldn't do anything, you know. And he finally grabbed a log and he broke the ice in front of me and fished me out of the stream. So thanks to my brother, who sadly we don't get along and haven't spoken in many, many years. But he did save Sorry. my life twice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your TV work because there it's so... Ex you, I mean, not only are you a fantastic character actor and that, but you're fantastic. And you've had so many... We talked a little bit about this in Richmond as far as <clears throat> I love the documentary, that guy and that thing that you're in and that you talk about. And all of you talk about doing Star Trek. And as I was telling you, you, there's no reason for you not to be at every convention because it's, if it's not Star Trek, it's Star Wars. If it's not that, it's the shield. If it's not that, you're in a great Tales from the Crypt episode, by the way. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt. Now that was great director kevin yeager yeah kevin yeager who designed the crypt keeper correct i'm the crypt keeper he's also a tremendous special effects makeup mm -hmm. artist um wow joel silver producing uh stefan garage and uh, i'm sure you knew some of those people from working in the lethal lethal weapon too it's joel silver right yeah. right yeah, like yeah. working with dick donner and all that richard yeah. donner was one of the producers as well is that how yeah. you got the tales from the crypt gig because I, it's funny. I remember when I was doing *Lethal Weapon* two, and I went in and did my auditions. I was doing a South African accent. Mm -hmm. I remember in the room, Joel Silver went, "How the fuck did you? Where'd you get that accent?" And I, I just said, called a buddy of mine from South Africa last night, and he gave me the rundown. And I, and I was doing it perfectly. I've got an ear for accents, but yeah, then also, a good mimic. Yeah, very. I have that from a child. Mm -hmm. But uh, *Tales from the Crypt* I love because having trained in England. I was extremely believable as a English con man. I love that role. God, that was such fun. And I one of the best improvs I've ever done. Improv yeah. After Stefan Garage, like, you know, sticks me with, I can't remember what it was, a pitchfork or something. Yeah. But, I, but I'm like, <laughs> I, I, and I improvise this, like I'm like, taking the, the shot and I go, good. God, sickles. <laughs> like, like, what you've done, but it's like, good God. It was such fun. Oh, yeah, that was, that was, that was a great series. Great it series. was a great series, but you've been on a ton. Of, you, I mean, you, uh, you are on The Shield, another great show. Great Fantastic. Show. And a great show that I, you know, we hear about Breaking Bad a lot, and Breaking Bad is fantastic. Better Call Saul, all those. But I don't know that The Shield gets its credit today. What do you think? I think you're right. I, I mean, think it's a precursor to that, just like The Sopranos is a precursor to all of this. The Shield was was visceral. And how they got it on FX, some of the shit that they got on FX is as if you go back and watch it, and no, that was in the early 2000s. How did they get it passed? Because yeah. that was on cable television. Great writing. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, Michael Chiklis is fantastic. Uh, it, it all comes down to the writing. That's why I'm enjoying Bosch so much now. Right. Connolly, what a prolific, incredible writer and amazing person. 
Okay, it's so rare that you have the creator of a show around, even. Yeah, he's on. He's on set every day. He's on set every day, and it's not like you know he's not in anybody's way. He's just hanging in the background. I love it because when I was, I play a character called Lieutenant Thorne. Yeah, and um, you know I remember once I was giving like a, a briefing to you know, a bunch of police officers in the morning. And I just happened to look up and saw Connolly in the back of the room. And all he did was he just gave me a, just gave me a wink and was like, good, good work. Because you know? he, he was a, he was a real detective, a homicide detective, like 30. Right. But I just did a, a little short film this summer, um, a Connolly short story, which is one of his only not like police uh, or LA based uh, uh, crime story. It was a 1930s poker game that goes awry, and very, very happy that uh, Titus Welliver uh, asked me to come on board. Again, just great writing, great. I, I'm, I'm, we're hoping that it might be the springboard to a, a full-length feature. That'd be that'd be fantastic. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So yeah. I, I, I just love doing curious anyway. No, no, I, I, that's what, because, and I know I promised you an hour and we're getting close to it, but we, back to you going back to a mimic and I don't want to cut Chad, Chad had a couple of questions he wanted to talk to because you, your voice work and you've been a natural mimic most of your life and from video games to animation, I don't know that people, because sometimes I forget, and this is a compliment, I forget that you're in Lethal Weapon too. Yeah, yeah. Even though I'm a huge Richard Donner fan, even though I've seen that movie, blah blah blah, I forget. And it's a compliment. I hope you take it that way. Uh, absolutely. No, absolutely. And there's a couple of other roles that you slip into. So I know Chad wanted to ask about the. I'm, desperate. I'm desperate to play another role where I can do the Afrikaans accent. It's such a great accent. Uh, yeah. And definitely Joss Ackland, who played mm -hmm. you know, my boss, Lethal Weapon mm -hmm. passed away this summer. A great actor. Yeah. Need the weapon too. It was a uh, was it was a good time. So <laughs> so Dick Donner. Like I, I don't want to segue. No no no. Please no no. Go no. Please do. We, Donner we, we, we want to hear these stories. We always we love we are, we love hearing behind the scenes stories. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this is, so you know I have the uh, excuse me. <clears throat> they have the uh, Krugerrands in the trunk of my BMW. Yeah. And it was not a souped up BMW. It was souped up in the fact that they had put like a souped up engine in it, but inside the, the car, very, you know, rudimentary seats and stuff. It was just meant to move. Mm -hmm. Nick Donner comes over and he's like, all right, kid, this is what you're going to do. I want you to hit it right up that ramp and just go up there, hang a left at the top of the ramp and uh, loop back around. Okay, and and don't worry, the guy guy's up there. He's holding traffic. He'll be looking out for you. Okay, okay, go, let's go, go do it. So I'm slammed down the gas. This thing, you can just feel the power of this vehicle going up this ramp. As I'm getting to the top of the ramp, this is downtown LA. I see the guy who's supposed to be holding the traffic. He's laughing and talking with. Some, he's not even paying attention. And I'm suddenly like, oh shit, what do I? So I gently like pump the brakes down a little bit. I make the turn and come around. Here, I'm coming down the other ramp. Here comes Dick Donner. Kid, kid, I told you. What, what are you pumping the brakes for? He said, yeah, just hit the gas. I said, Dick, the guy wasn't holding traffic. He's like, God damn it. He, 
says, hey, get me sure he's holding the traffic up there. All right, kid, this time just, just hit the gas. Man, I went right up this thing. When I turned at the top of the ramp, I thought I was going to fishtail and lose control of the car. But I make the turn, and I was starting to fishtail, and then this engine, I could just feel it, like, grab, and it just went right up my ass. <laughs> took off. I mean, I'm telling you, it was the most exhilarating feeling of all. And then when I came back down, he was like, there you go, kid. That's the way to do it. <laughs> so it's such a Hollywood moment, you know? It is, but when you do... Donner called you kid. But when you do the voice... You just sell it. You just sell yeah. it. It's like it's like it's like he's got one of the old megaphones out. Yeah, talking about. It's got the pants and the riding crop and the the the, the thing. I just love it. He was old school, man. Great guy. Great guy. But yeah. but what what we hear a lot is gruff but lovable. Toad, Toad, big man. I mean, he 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 was an onset general. I mean, most directors have that anyway. He, you know, even Scorsese was you know, tiny. Um, um, you know, commands the set. I mean, my God, I mean, I'll never forget. You know, there was a hierarchy in Departed of how people arrive on set. You know, it's like the background people, mm-hmm. then secondary actors, and then it would be uh, uh, Leo, and then Nick Nicholson, and then Marty. And mm-hmm. if on the set and he couldn't like walk on set and say action, he would turn right around and walk right off if something was wrong. So we, there we are, we're, we're in, in, in Red Hook, Brooklyn, yeah. at this huge old warehouse. And it happened. Marty came onto the set, we're all there, we're all there waiting, and he goes, Joe, this first, like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? So he's like, uh, it's the location you chose for the scene? He's like, oh, no, 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 not feeling it. Not feeling it. Um, no, send everybody home. Uh, no, we got, we got to do something about this. They sent everybody home. And the next day, we were at a different location to do the scene. Amazing, right? The, but that's kind of the man for saving that. But I'll tell you another one. I'll tell you another quick funny story. Please, please. We're, that's what we're here for, is for yeah. our listeners want to listen to you. Now, this is a good one. Yeah. I hope Mr. Scorsese never hears it. I'll he won't. We're, we're nobody. I'll <laughs> But um, so, you know, it was quite an arduous process getting the role. Like I, I, I had to do taping like four times and I just kept getting notes like, yeah, die a bit more, rasp a bit more. I, I was doing the death scene. And um, so I kept doing these tapings and finally my agent says, hey, you're going to go to the Beverly Hills Hotel and you're going to meet Scorsese for your final audition. Like, okay, great. And they were like, oh, and by the way, you're going to have to say every single word that your character utters in the script. Like, okay, strange, but okay. So uh, I drive there, and I'm, of course, extremely excited. And I get there, I arrive at the villas of the Beverly Hills Hotel, which is up the hill. And I pull up, and I look down, and I'm out of gas. And I'm <laughs> out of gas. I go, oh, fuck. And I hop out and the valley guy comes and goes, listen, please do me this favor. Here's $40. I have this audition I've got to go to. But could you please take this down the hill uh, and get me some gas? He goes, don't worry, we have gas here. It happens all the time. I said, please, whatever you need, this is for you. 
go to the villas um, and we're waiting. We get ushered up to this one of the bungalows and you know the door opens and there's Marcus Christmas. And he is like just put together. I mean cufflinks, the loafers, belt, everything is just like amazing. Mark, yeah, come on in, sit down, sit down. Yeah, great. Like we're gonna read all the all the words, okay? Is that okay? You okay with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. You're fine. He sits down in a chair and his feet go about 18 inches off the floor. <laughs> and I swear to you, I had to bite the inside of my lip not to laugh. I almost, I almost laughed because it was his, it, the, the visual, which is still seared in my brain, was hysterical because he's so gracious and everything. He sits down and he's like, oh, oh, <laughs> he's on a chair. <laughs> and uh, I, bit, I bit my lip so hard and then we actually said every single word. And then it was like, thanks very much. Thanks for coming in. I drove away. And, uh, you know, back in those days, you know, I've got three children. Uh, you know, being an actor, like people think it's like, oh, yeah, you make a shit ton of money. And that's all you do is act. I've done, I've sold everything under the sun. Mm -hmm. Back then I was designing and selling kitchens for a big kitchen company in Los Angeles. Oh, really? And I had a kitchen appointment to go to. And I was like, uh, I go there, I drive all the way there, and on the way there, my agent calls you, you got it, you got it, you got departed, you're going to be going to the, back and forth from New York and Boston for the next six months. I'm like, okay, wow, incredible, incredible news. And I'm outside this house to go to this meeting. I call my wife and say, honey, I booked it. And I, I said, you know what? Put the champagne in the fridge. I'm coming home. I'm blowing off this meeting. <laughs> I never went to the meeting. In fact, I you know I went into this company and I said, look, you know, I'll 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 still work for you guys, but uh, I just booked this movie. I'm gonna be gone for the next six months. I'm coming back and forth. And oddly enough, I made more money selling kitchens that year than <laughs> I did on The Departed. Wow! Because that was it was like oh. Four or five, and uh, uh, you know, before the downturn, but it was yeah. back in the day, the banks were giving away money to people to like home improvement mm -hmm. loans. I made like three hundred thousand dollars selling kitchens that year because I would walk into people's houses, and first thing it was always the tell was the woman would say, "Oh hi, please have a seat. Would you like a glass of water? I drink a soda if you like." And I would just turn and I'd say, you've got a home improvement loan coming. How did you know? I'm getting a kitchen. And then the husband would be next to her going, oh, yeah, she's good. <laughs> like, How many, I've got, we've got, I, I know, I know we promised an hour. If you don't mind, just a couple more quick. How yeah, often, are, are you sure? Okay, cool. But, and usually people are like, oh, they're, they're not awful. So we'll go do a few more minutes, but. How often while you were doing that did somebody go, holy shit, Drake or Boggs? I often got, you look very familiar. <laughs> I would say this. I would say this. I'd say, now, nah, you're thinking of James Conn. <laughs> people tell me I look like Jimmy Conn all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you do. You look like James Conn. Now, 
when James Conn was doing that show Vegas, uh-huh. I auditioned for it. Again, got out half an hour later, my agent says, guess what? You booked it. Great. For half an hour later, the agent calls and goes, uh, scratch what I said before. I go, why? Huh. James Conn saw your tape and said, this fucking guy can't be in the show. He looks like he's my brother. So. <laughs> you have two James Conn stories. You have two, two James, James Conn stories. stories. You yeah. have that, yeah. Apparently, Burt Reynolds met uh Frank Sinatra once, and then just Sinatra, and then the shit happened, the, the story happened, and then Burt gets up to leave and he goes, Aren't you going to stay? He goes, No, I already had my Frank story and walked out the door. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> and while you were telling me that about Jimmy Conn giving the guy the business, I was, was going through my head, is like, Oh, because I've met a couple of people and I have a couple of stories, and I always go, oh, I got my story, yeah, I got my story, exactly. They were exactly what everyone said. I've got my story. It's a good time. Chad, real quick, do we want to talk? Do you mind if we talk, ask you a couple of questions about voice acting before we go? Okay. All, right. All right. Go ahead, Chad. Oh, no, it's just uh, out of the three of our, uh, three of our, our friend circle here, I am a huge, huge animation fan. I, I had like my whole collection of movies and TV. Like I, I have a whole selection of cartoons and animation um that i watch regularly and uh you know you do a lot of voice work in video games and and animation mostly for a lot with warner brothers and dc i was kind of curious about that but mostly from an acting standpoint i mean is that hard on you being in a room where you're used to off other actors and then you're usually in a room alone well interesting you say that because times have changed but back in the day when I did the original Batman cartoon series, right, Kevin Conroy, who so was, by the way, a wonderful person, whom I have done panels for for the last four or five years, and was fan. I just sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Was fantastic with fans. I didn't work with him like you did, but I bet I over the years I did five or six moderated panels like for you, and he was, he was a gentleman. He never talked a lot. But with us, but when he he was fantastic with his fans, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, he's a lovely guy. But but in those days, we'd all be in one room, the entire right. cast. You just step to the mic when it was your time, and you move off of them. <laughs> now, uh, well, when we did Voltron, um, we would have like six to eight of us. But then the pandemic changed everything. Yeah, right. And that that was very strange. But I. Uh, I started my career doing voice work. Uh, I, I, I'm an expert dubber. Mm-hmm. I, my first professional job was I dubbed Jackie Chan in a couple of his titles. Yeah. yeah Drunken Drunken Master. And there's one other I can't remember. But um, so when I was doing Rush Hour with Jackie, and I just happened to say in a quiet moment, I was like, hey, Jackie, by the way, um, when I revoiced you in. Drunken monkey, drunken mask, and he looked at me like, What? You, me? No way, no way. I was like, Oh, yeah. And it's, and, and, but yeah, I bought my first car with that money, and, uh, um, I love it. I love voice work. I love, I, I love working on the cartoon. Like, like, to, to be a character in the cartoon, it's the great experience. It is the best work. You go once or twice a month. Pays all your bills, <laughs> and and I, I I but I I just I, I just love love character voices and uh, and but trust me, the voice 
world is so competitive. Right. Oh, oh, oh please. I mean, I, I've been in rooms with guys and it's like, like, dude, bow down. I mean, guys who can do shit with their voices and impersonate. Uh, I mean, it's extraordinary. extraordinary. Now, I'm not at that level. I, I enjoy what I do and I, you know, like I'm having a fantastic time on the Spider Man mm-hmm. franchise just started working on a virtual reality and since i since i saw you guys yeah Kentucky, i got this virtual reality game and i can't tell you what it is but it's going to revolutionize everything in game it, it, it blew my freaking mind i'm telling you I, i'm going back and gonna do this month and following month uh it's and you, you'll do it like warner brothers it's again. It's a Warner Brothers and Meta production. Oh wow! And I don't know what it is about Warner Brothers. They they love me over there. I've done so many things with Warner Brothers. Um, I, I love working for them. There's always great people like the Batman Arkham Origins game, right? Dude, that's good. Yeah, great. Just just great, great people. I don't know. There's something about being on the Warner Brothers lot. It feels comfortable. That's where I auditioned for Departed. You know. Uh, out of one of them. So, yeah, voice work. We are from a kid, like I, I said before. Like I, 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 I would mimic. I, I was a mimic. I used to imitate people all the time and get into fights with the kids. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a, it, it's a genre that uh, it's kind of timeless. You know, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am. By the way, I am playing Lego DC villains with my youngest daughter. Um, I did not know you were in it because we have not got to the Deathstroke level yet. So now I'm going to have to rush uh, her so I can get to you. That's great. <laughs> yeah, you see, that's the thing. It's interesting. I, I was watching um, uh, like Taxi Driver mm-hmm. of the holiday. And I thought, wow, this game is dated. It's really dated. And, I, you know, and, and even dare I say, but like De Niro's performance, like when I was coming up, his performance as a taxi driver was shit. That was right. But watching it again, I'm like, oh, it's not really that scary. Or Mm -hmm. I I don't know, something about it. But for me in my career, I am so lucky to have been in some timeless pieces of art. And I, you know, Aliens is one of them. Shawshank is another one. Uh, I, I imagine Departed will be be one. Uh, I don't know. A rush Hour, like in, in, for action comedy, is yeah, it, you know, pretty stellar. So yeah, I I, I just I, I'm very 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 lucky and uh, love what I do, man. I know. And one last one, one last one. The Comrades of Summer with Joe Montana, directed by the Kentuckian Tommy Lee Wallace. Tommy Lee, great guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a I had a ball on that. I had a ball on that. I was only I was saddened because when at the uh, you know the the Iron Curtain came down at the end of our shoot, and I yeah. was to go to Russia. I was so excited, and then it all came down. They're like, no, no, we'll just take the skeleton crew. We can't all go. Wow. Um, but well, yeah, what great fun guy, you know. I tell you guys, it's like one of those things that, you know, that people say, like, see, tell your children, it's like, you know, find something that you love 
find something that will make you wake up every day. And uh, I'm so grateful to my father, who, when I said to him, like, and I said it with trepidation, because my dad was a military man, worked for IBM, uh, and very much a corporate military kind of guy. Mm -hmm. But when I was 18 years old, and I said, Dad, I think I want to be an actor, and I said it like this, thinking he was going to be like, are you fucking out of your mind? <laughs> <laughs> My dad was very pensive. He said, well, you know, it could be a very hard road to home. But he said, you know, technology being what it is, it's going to race ahead. And, you know, most people probably won't be smart enough to get off their couches and stop watching the YouTube. So might as well watch you. <laughs> and that was my father's ringing endorsement of <laughs> being an actor. But honestly, no one in, in my entire family uh, has ever been an actor. Uh, no one since. My son, thank God, is a producer. My youngest daughter, uh, arts administrator so she wants to be in and around the arts but doesn't want to perform yeah and uh, it's hard to say how you get drawn to these things but i, I gotta tell you i i i, I will never stop because i don't have to and yeah. i love i absolutely love what i do and it isn't the only thing i do and it, i'm gonna do it every single day but um this year already it started off i've got a full schedule and it feels great and I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. You Bless. get, you get paid to do what you love, and there is no greater satisfaction. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's afforded so many great things. Like my wife and I just got back. We were, we were guests of the Marine Corps in Okinawa. Oh, really? As of aliens, yeah. Wow. Like me and Jeanette Goldstein and I went over there, and uh, I got to travel to Japan. And my wife and I spent an extra, like, like we spent 16 days tre trekking around Japan. Guys, go to Japan. Go. Oh, I want to. We have young oh, children right now. so I understand. But the dollar is really strong, but you've got to go. It is the most extraordinary place. I love the culture. Everyone, everyone is so respectful, kind, clean. Talk about clean. Mm-hmm. I have to come back to the shithole Los Angeles. I mean, disgusting. Japan was extraordinary, extraordinary and beautiful. Oh, the food. Listen, we got to find I want to thank you so much. You're, you're a minch. We appreciate it. When you go to Portugal, we will, we will introduce you to Todd Farmer, the screenwriter, who's also from, <laughs> who's also from Kentucky and a friend of the show who's bought a, as he calls it, a wee castle over there. No, no, no. We're going to ahead and stop recording. Thank you so much, Mark. And if you'll hang on, I'm just going to push stop.